As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Last week I taught you about the marriage mystery of Jesus and His church. And we went through a few of the scriptures that tell us that there's a time uh, that's coming when all people will give an account before Jesus as to how we live out our lives on the earth. And that we are expected to live faithfully to Jesus until the end at the time of the marriage supper uh, when our marriage to Jesus is consummated. And at that point we are going to receive reward for faithfully walking with Him and for obeying what He tells us, as well as for keeping ourselves pure from sin. I showed you that sin will be judged by Jesus if we do not judge ourselves here on the earth. And I gave you the uh, verse 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And I showed you from the Word that in the mercy of Jesus that while we live on this earth, we have the right and the privilege to judge ourselves with the Lord in the privacy of our own prayer time and to ask Him for forgiveness and receive His cleansing by the blood for sin. And we also showed that if we refuse to judge ourselves, then He will have to judge us. And you and I don't want that. Uh, we said that according to Scripture, there will be many people who Jesus called. There are people who are called and even walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they continue to walk in willful and unrepentant sin, and they will stand before Him in the day of judgment to give an account for those deeds. Some will even be rejected and cast into a place called outer darkness. And those people were referred to in the Scripture as spots and blemishes that would not be allowed to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We said that's not His will, right? He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all of us to enter into the kingdom of heaven with Him. It is His will for His children to repent of sin and that we are to yield ourselves to Him for cleansing in a process called sanctification. And tonight I want to talk to you about that. So the title of this message is Sanctify. Now last week I read from Ephesians 5 verse 25 through 27. I'll read that again tonight. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Verse 26 tells us that Jesus sanctifies and cleanses us with the washing of water by the Word. Let me talk to you a little bit about this idea of sanctification. 
All right, sanctification is one of those 50 cent theological words. It gets used and it gets tossed around a lot in preaching, but many people don't understand what the word really means. I wasn't sure today that I really fully understood what it meant, so I went and looked up the definition. So in the Strong's Concordance, it comes from a Greek, a Greek word that is, I'll do my best here, hegiadzo, hegiadzo, and it means to make holy, that is ceremonially purify or consecrate, mentally to venerate, hallow, or be holy. And well, to be honest with you, that definition didn't really help me much. So it kept using the word holy. So I looked up the definition of the word holy. What does the word holy mean? Well, it comes from a very similar word. It's hagios, or hagios. So it means sacred. It means physically pure, morally blameless, or religiously, ceremonially consecrated. Okay, so that helped me a little bit more. The idea is this. In the Old Covenant, things that had to be, things that were used in the temple, uh, things that had a special use, those things had to be cleansed and they had to be purified before they were used. In the Old, in the Old Covenant, if it had a special use to God, then it had to first be cleansed and purified and then set apart for the specific use. And that is the idea of sanctification. When I was preparing that this morning, I asked the Lord for an example of sanctification that would be easy to understand. And as soon as I asked Him, He gave me this quick mental picture of a surgeon in the operating room, and he was reaching towards a table full of surgical instruments. And prior to surgery, those instruments have to be meticulously sanitized, or else any contamination on the instruments would cause infection to the patient and cause them more sickness or even death. Prior to use, the hospital places the instruments in a device called an autoclave, which produces an environment of intense heat and pressure until those instruments are sterile and they are free from any infectious organisms. Then the instruments are set apart. They are handled only in clean environments where they are placed under seal on a clean tray until the surgeon needs them. Those instruments are sanctified. They're cleansed and they're set apart for a special use. So that is really a great picture of, of our sanctification. Like I said, in, in the Old Covenant, in the temple worship of the Old Covenant, the items which were to be used in the temple had to go through a process of ritual sanctification where they were sprinkled with blood from the sacrifices and washed with waters of purification. And this was done as a type and a shadow of our sanctification. We are the temple of God and we are His instruments in the earth. But prior to being used by Him, there's a process of sanctification that we go through to cleanse and purify us from the contaminating effects of sin. First, we are washed by Jesus' own blood that is sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. And then we are purified and we are cleansed by the washing of His Word. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, and that was His blood, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. 
that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In order for us not to be contaminated by besetting sins that might qualify us as spots and wrinkles, thing. remember we said in the scripture that spots and wrinkles were people who walked in willful, unrepentant sins of the flesh. And in order for us to be cleansed, we have to submit ourselves to Jesus and allow Him to clean us up. Now, Jesus is called the Word of God made flesh. When Jesus speaks a word to you, His Word has a cleansing effect on you. When you come here, or when you come and you sit under the teaching of the Word, and it's anointed by the Holy Spirit, that Word gets down on the inside of you, and it begins to clean you up. It is washing your mind, it is renewing it, and it is changing you into the image of Christ. And that's why we have these meetings. That's why the teaching of the Word is so important. Jesus makes you clean by His Word. All right, the Holy Spirit breathes on the Word that's being taught to you, and it comes alive in you and changes you. When Jesus speaks His Word to you, it is always truth that will make you free. His Word brings freedom from bondage of sin. Sanctification is the process of becoming free from those besetting sins that kept you in bondage and that may have kept you from being fit for the Master's use. And I'm going to read from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, and I'm going to go to 22. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are His. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So to become fit for your highest and best use by Jesus, you must first be washed in the word and depart from sin. The word spoken to you by the Holy Spirit will give you grace for you to make the changes that are needed. I'm going to come back around to this grace thing in just a, a few more minutes. There are arguments among leaders and people in the church uh, about this idea of sanctification. Some say that Jesus does everything and that we have no part in it. Others say you have to do it all by the sweat of your brow. You just have to work, work, work until you're free of sin. But like most things in the Bible, you can get into a ditch on either side of the road. There are two sides to the sanctification process. There is the God side of it, and there's your side of it. Our side is that we must voluntarily submit ourselves to God for this process. We must do whatever He says. When Jesus speaks a word to us, that word has both a cleansing effect on us and an empowering effect for us to walk it out. What we could not do before He spoke, 
we can now do after He has spoken to us. The Word of God brings the power of grace and faith to us so that we can overcome. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When faith comes, we can access grace that is available to us from heaven. It makes us empowered to do whatever He said and to make whatever changes that He asks of us. Under the Old Covenant, the law required you to be holy, but it provided no power for you to do so. You cannot clean up yourself from bondage of sin without the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is still incumbent upon you and me to seek the Lord and to submit ourselves to Him for the process of sanctification. In other words, He won't force you to come to Him. You have to come to Him. Most people run from Jesus when they have a sin problem because Satan attacks them with shame. And shame is not of God. Shame is designed by the enemy to keep you from coming to Jesus to get cleaned up. Romans 12:1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that word service means worship. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So first, you must submit to Him. You must submit your body and your mind to Him, and He will begin to transform you by the renewing of your mind. It says, through the washing effect of the water of His Word. When He speaks to you, it has a cleansing effect. And then you will know what the will of God is for your life. So many times we ask God what His will is for our lives, but His first will is to transform you and to sanctify you so that you can do His will without the contaminating effects of sin getting in the way and possibly contaminating others that He sends you to. Now let's talk a little bit about that word grace. Grace is a word that gets thrown around a lot nowadays. And not all grace teachings are correct. Some are good. But I want to reiterate something about saving grace. And we talked at length last week about this. We are saved by grace. Without saving grace through Jesus Christ, no works of morality or purity, such as you know, abstaining, abstaining from sexual sin or you know, striving to do right and not do wrong, none of that is ever enough to get you into heaven. The Scripture says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus expects us to keep ourselves from sin, right? Especially sins of the flesh, like sexual sins. Like a bride who stays faithful to her husband. We went into that in depth last week. So let me say this. I do not believe that we are saved by grace and then kept by sweat. Just because Jesus asks you to keep yourself, that's not the same as you working into heaven. You are saved by grace. We are saved by grace and we are kept by grace. But we do have choices when it comes to sin. It is not about how many works you do for Jesus. It is about being faithful. 
If He is Lord, that means we must do what He says. He said, why would you call me Lord and then not do what I say? So if He tells us that we are to abstain from sin, then we will have to do some abstaining. We will have to do some resisting. He won't resist for you. Grace is not a license to sin. We need to better define this term grace so that we can interpret scriptures correctly and rightly divide the word of truth. So what is true Bible grace? I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures that use the word grace and see if we can determine by context what grace looks like. Acts 4.31 says this, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the thing which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now in this passage, the effect of great grace says this, they preached with boldness, they gave unselfishly, they walked in power, signs, and wonders by the Holy Spirit. Grace came when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and then they had great power. So it looks like grace is power, and specifically power which comes upon us from the Holy Spirit of God. Acts 11.21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So again, note that when the hand of the Lord was on them, then they were able to preach with power such that the grace of God was seen. Barnabas said he had seen the grace of God. So grace resulted in something that you could see. The results were tangible. And it says that Barnabas was full of the Holy Ghost and faith, so faith was present with great grace. Acts 14.3 says, Long time therefore they abode, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So in this passage, grace from the Lord enable them to boldly preach the word and to perform signs and wonders. The tangible result of grace was power that was witnessed by others. Grace was much more than a theological concept and it wasn't about mercy. It was about power. Romans 12, 6. It says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering 
or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Grace, when it's given to us, when it's given to the body of Christ, enables us to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which includes prophesying, ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, healings, okay? All those things were uh, part of the grace that was given as gifts. So this is part of what grace looks like. This is not all of grace. But what I want you to see is that grace enables you. Grace is power. Grace is the Holy Spirit coming upon you and enabling you to do things that you couldn't do before. All of these verses indicate that grace enabled the believers with power, with signs and wonders, and with boldness to preach, and with great faith. Grace is empowerment from the Holy Spirit. It is His anointing, and it is His gifts. It is not doing any disservice to the Scripture to say that grace is divine power. It is divine enablement. When God places grace upon you, you are superpowered to do whatever God asks. So if someone is walking in sin and they try to justify it by, by saying that they are under grace, they are walking in deception and they don't understand what grace is. If a person is bound in sin and that person can call upon the name of the Lord and receive divine power to break that stronghold off of them and to be free, then they're held accountable for that. They, they don't have to stay in sin. It is because we have access to this divine power that there is no excuse to stay bound. We overcome sin by grace. We overcome sin through the divine power of the Holy Spirit, and there is a sanctifying grace. There's a sanctifying grace. Mercy is given to those who are bound in sin. Mercy gives you time to learn about Jesus to learn about your freedom and to learn, learn about your authority to overcome and to learn how to access God's grace to get freedom. And when Jesus speaks a word of grace to you, it can set you free instantly. So mercy helps you get there. John 15, 3, uh, Jesus was speaking and he, and he said, Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word that Jesus speaks gives grace that enables you to be clean. If he speaks and you don't harden your heart, but you obey what he says, grace will enable you to do whatever he says. Grace is the power to break the back of the enemy in our lives. And since we have access to grace by faith, we can be victorious and overcome every trap and snare of Satan. Because we have access to grace, we have no excuse to stay in sin and in bondage. So many people confuse grace with mercy. Now I gave you one definition of mercy or one outflow of what mercy does, which is it gives you space and it gives you time. It gives you time to learn and grow and understand and come to repentance. Mercy also means that you're guilty of sin and you deserve punishment, but instead of getting what you deserve, you're forgiven of the transgression.
That's mercy. When you confess sin and when you ask for forgiveness, Jesus will show you mercy and forgive you. We don't have to bear the punishment for sin. The punishment for all sin is death, according to the Scripture. But Jesus gives us eternal life because He already paid the price for sin by His own death. And when we confess our sin to Him, that is judging ourselves and we won't be judged. And God is very merciful. He knows our weaknesses and our lack of understanding. He sees how the enemy operates to trap us and to keep us in the dark through ignorance. God is long-suffering toward us and He gives us space to repent. He sends teachers across our path to show us the right way and to help us grow. And He speaks His Word to us directly and it cleanses us by renewing our minds. This is all part of that sanctification process. Hebrews 10, 26, and I'm going to read from 26 to 31. It says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more sore punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now that's a pretty scary passage. That's one of those I, I read through really fast, you know. But there's some very good things in here that I want to, I want to point out. All right, notice in verse 29 it says that willful sin is despising the spirit of grace. In my Bible, the word spirit is capitalized. That means it's referring to an actual person. Specifically, the spirit of grace is the Holy Spirit of God. So when we're talking about grace, it's not just some theological idea. It's not even, not even the special power or special anointing. That is the outflow of grace. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. The power of grace is present and its effects can be seen because the Spirit of grace is present. Grace is the person of the Holy Spirit. So from now on, when you hear that word grace, you know, I don't want you to think about, I don't want you to think it's just mercy. I don't want you to even think about that it's the gifts from God or the power of God. Those are all the physical evidence, evidence of the operation of the Spirit of grace. So if you have received the Holy Spirit, you now have God inside you. And if you continue to submit yourself to sin, you are resisting God Himself when you do so. When you resist sin, you are submitting to God 
and He will help you. You cannot remain in unrepentant sin and claim that you are under grace. God cannot sin, nor can He tempt anyone with sin. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. If sin is abounding in your life, you can approach the throne of grace and receive superabounding grace. You do not have to stay a slave to sin. And He did not leave you alone to do this without help. But He will not make you do it. You always have free will. You do your side of it, God will always do His side of it. Okay, I'm going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, and I'm going to read it through the, from the God's Word version. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. It is God's will that you keep away from sexual sin as a mark of your devotion to Him. Each of you should know that finding a husband or wife for yourself is to be done in a holy and honorable way, not in the passionate, lustful way of people who don't know God. No one should take advantage of or exploit other believers that way. The Lord is the one who punishes people for all of these things. We already told you and warned you about this. God didn't call us to be sexually immoral, but to be holy. Therefore, whoever rejects this order is not rejecting human authority, but God, who gives you His Holy Spirit. When it comes to sexual sins, or, or any sin, actually, you have a choice. Even if the temptation seems overwhelming, you have the Spirit of grace available to help you, and you can overcome temptation. One of the primary obligations that Jesus places on us, on our side of the sanctification process, is to resist sin. And the Scripture does say especially sexual sins, sins of the flesh. And unless you're being raped, you do have a choice in the matter. All right? But He will not do it for you, you but you do have His help to overcome. All right, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The throne of grace. The reason that grace needs a throne is that the Spirit of grace sits on it. A throne is where a person sits. When you need grace, come to His throne and it's available. You have the Spirit of grace to help you in the time of temptation. He never expected you to do it without Him. If you continue to fall, you have not accessed the throne of grace for help. That's either by choice, either you're choosing to stay in the sin, or you are trying to overcome it by yourself without coming to the throne of grace.
Either way results in failure. He tells us, come to Him, ask of Him, and He will take you through this sanctification process. Over in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, and we're, we're close to being done, it says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich and white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness will not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten, but be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Basically, Jesus is saying, come to me for grace. Repent. If I call to you, and I let you know there's something going on, come to me for grace. I'll come in, I'll, I'll sup with you, I'll come sit down with you, and I'll help you through this. You're not alone. You're not doing this without his help. God wants his children to keep short accounts with him. Don't let sin roll over day after day. Deal with it daily as you need to. Do it before you go to sleep. Don't let there be any open doors to the enemy. All right, when, if you go to sleep and you haven't dealt with some stuff, you may have a rough night. You know, it's like uh, the Lord says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Right? There are things that we need to deal with on a daily basis. You don't wait until, you know, uh, well, I did something wrong. Um, let me deal with that when I get to church in two weeks. No, deal with it right now. Don't let it roll over to the sunlight of the next day. Jesus is all about mercy, and He's all about covering you. He wants to deal with your areas of weakness discreetly. He is not trying to expose or to embarrass anyone. The Scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. But if you refuse to come to Him and to deal with these things one-on-one -on -one with Him, then sometimes He has no other choice but to bring it out into the light for others to see. But that is not His will. It is not His desire. But that is still His mercy because things left unjudged here will have to be judged there. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.